Lisa asked me a few weeks ago if I would preach today, which is the Feast of the Trinity. And in an effort to persuade me, she suggested that I could just brush off my sermon from Trinity Sunday last year and deliver it again. Now I'll admit that if you were at the worship service at Trinity last year on Trinity Sunday, and if you were paying attention to the sermon, then some of what I'm about to say may sound familiar. But this is not entirely a rerun, although part of me totally wishes that it could be. But the world is different today than it was then. And we are different today than we were then. So even if God is no different, our understanding might benefit from a remix. Yes, this is Trinity Sunday, which is observed every year on the Sunday after Pentecost. It's not a celebration of a special event, like most of the other holy hoopla days in the church calendar. You won't find the word Trinity anywhere in Scripture. Trinity Sunday is about a teaching that was struggled over and hammered out by church patriarchs over hundreds of years. On the face of it, it's not the most compelling or deeply personal topic. One God, three expressions. So what? Who cares? Theologian Karl Rahner wrote that if the church quietly decided one day to abandon the doctrine of the Trinity, most of us would never notice. It doesn't normally affect our faith or our life in any meaningful way. The Trinity is an idea that we have some trouble grasping. It's a mystery, which doesn't mean it's something that we can't understand, but something that we can understand in endless ways. And if we try to understand it as a guide, as a template for how we're called to be in the world, then I think the Trinity actually can be compelling and personal. Before I say more about that, though, I want to make a comment about pronouns. Now, this part might sound familiar to some of you. And if you found it bothersome last year, you're going to find it just as bothersome this year. But it won't last long. So just get up now and go wash your hands thoroughly with soap and water, and I'll probably be done by the time you get back. We have only our finite human language to talk about infinite things. So all our references to God will necessarily fall short of reality. But I still think it, that the concept of the Trinity supports using the pronoun they when referring to God. As a pronoun that functions in both the plural and the singular, they is a way of referring to a God who is both individually three and yet fully one. Using the gender-neutral they instead of he counters centuries of labeling God in purely male terms and expands our image of God beyond our current comfortable notions. It takes some getting used to, but I think it makes sense. Jesuit priest and Homeboy Industries founder Greg Boyle has described our faith as a calling to be in the world who God is. Our vocation is to imitate the kind of God that we believe in. So, how do we imitate a trinity? The most important thing to say about the concept of the trinity is that it means that God is, at their essence, a community. 
In his book, The Divine Dance, Franciscan priest and teacher Richard Rohr describes the Trinity as a community of three persons, endlessly giving and receiving love in a relationship that we've been both created out of and that we're endlessly invited into. It's pretty clear, if you think about it, that God is always oriented to community. What does God do at the beginning of creation? Design one fantastic super creature? No, they fashion a wildly diverse community. We heard part of the roster in today's reading from Genesis. Birds and sea monsters and gross creeping things and adorable puppies and all sorts of people. In this account, God doesn't say, let me make humankind in my image, because who would they have been talking to? but let us make humankind in our own image, according to our likeness. If God created us in their image, this means that community is an essential part of our design. What does Jesus do at the beginning of their ministry? Gather disciples, craft a community, and then make that community broader and wider until the boundary-guarding religious leaders cry, Enough! Jesus offers us an incarnate example, Richard Rohr says, of living, loving, and relating on earth as it is in the Trinity. What does the Spirit do when they show up on Pentecost? We heard it last Sunday. Infect a crowd with a sense of community. People from all over the Mediterranean world hear and understand and embrace the same good news. Regardless of their different languages and cultures, the message is the same. The Spirit doesn't go to the temple where access is limited to the right kind of people. They go out into the streets on a busy holiday. Imagine Mardi Gras or a pride parade. Remember those? So if God is a community, endlessly giving and receiving outrageous, immeasurable love, and our task is to imitate that God as best we can, then we, not you, but we, are fundamentally called into loving relationship with each other. To remember, as Mother Teresa said, that we belong to one another, that we're all related even when we struggle to see the family resemblance. It means embracing what Dr. King called the inescapable network of mutuality in which we're held, even with our sometimes profound differences. Rohr contends that there is nothing as important as this sense of community and connection, because underlying all of our worst problems, whether they're political, socioeconomic, environmental or interpersonal is a profound sense of our disconnection from God, from ourselves, from one another, and from creation. And what about now? What does it mean now to build community, to belong to each other in these socially distant times? We're all in this together seems to be the popular rallying cry of the last few months. And it's certainly true that the entire human community 
is being endangered by the same virus at the same time. If we didn't believe until now in that inescapable network of mutuality, if we didn't understand that we are each other's destiny, COVID-19 has certainly slapped us upside the head with that reality. But facing the same biological threat doesn't mean that we're all having the same experience, that we're all bearing the same burdens. As writer Courtney Martin describes it, some of us are essential workers, literally risking our lives for economic or professional or moral reasons. Some of us have lost our jobs. Some of us have taken no financial hit and have actually gotten a $1,200 windfall. Some of us have been protected by the police. Some of us have been murdered by them. Some of us are being driven crazy by little ones crawling over us as we try to work from home. Some of us are acutely lonely and ache to remember what a human touch feels like. Some of us have been sick. Some of us have lost people we love. And some of us have only experienced this virus as an abstraction. So how can we stand apart in our diverse experiences and yet join together? Because if the Trinity teaches us anything, it's that together is really the key, isn't it? Wisely reducing our physical contact with each other mustn't lead us to turn away from each other out of fear or selfishness or contempt, but rather to turn toward each other in ways that are brave, healthy, and life-giving. If we want to imitate the kind of God we believe in, and the kind of God we believe in is a creative, steadfast community of love in action, then what else do we need to know? We have to find ways, whether familiar or fresh, to support and protect each other, to engage each other with great compassion and great listening, to make room and make whole. And when we don't know what to do, to ask, what would love do? As innovator Jacqueline Novogratz said in a recent interview, I want future generations to look back on us and say, Look how hard they tried, not look at how blind they were. One last thought. As much as many of us might miss gathering in our building to worship as a community, as much as we might long to be together in that way, remember that God doesn't demand that we gather for worship. God's demand, if you will, their longing, their dream for us is simply this, that we love absolutely everyone, that we care particularly for the most vulnerable, and that we serve the common good with bold and sacrificial action. You've probably heard the shorthand version of this somewhere before. Love God, love your neighbor, our neighbor, and in doing that, together, change the world. Actually, heal the world. 
because healing doesn't mean going back to the way things were before. Healing means allowing what is now to move us closer to God. May that be so for us.